Welcome to the Covenant of Peace radio broadcast, the teaching ministry of Pastor Blair Bradley. This program is dedicated to bringing you the glorious truth of God's Word, one verse at a time. We are living in powerful days and we are seeing tremendous changes in our lives, our culture, our nation, and in the church. So now more than ever, we have a great need to exercise spiritual discernment and to know what the Bible teaches about the important issues that we all face today. So let's join Pastor Blair as he continues our study on the Word of God. Welcome again, my beloved in Jesus Christ. We're continuing our verse-by-verse journey through the epistle of Jude, and today we're continuing to go over what Jude taught about how to combat heresy. So let's open our Bibles and read Jude verses 17 through 21 again together. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, we're continuing to go over the way that Jude gave us to combat heresy when it comes to our church. And the best defense that we have is found in verses 20 and 21. And so we're going over the first one that Jude talked about, and that is to build yourselves up on your most holy faith. And as we have discovered, there are 10 biblical keys for every believer to utilize that when combined will build himself up on his most holy faith. So let's go over the list again. There's prayer, Bible study, godly fellowship, obedience, being filled with the Spirit, confession, love, hope, witnessing, and discernment. Now, today I want to continue to explore the ninth key, and that is witnessing. And as we've already gone over witnessing... Witnessing has two components, corporate and individual. We seldom think about the corporate aspects of witnessing today, but it is a major aspect of this ninth key. As I said earlier, witnessing is not optional. All believers are told to share their faith with other people. We are being disobedient when we do not tell others about how wonderful Jesus is. But we must remember that our effectiveness as a witness for Jesus is affected not only by the corporate testimony of your church, but by the credibility of your own life. If your behavior does not back up what you say, people will notice, and your testimony will not be believable. Look what Jesus said about this in Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Jesus was saying here that the Pharisees were hypocrites. They said one thing, but did another. Christian brothers and sisters, we must never be like this. People need to see in our lives the reality of what we profess. If we live contrary to what we say, we really don't believe what we say. But because we say and don't live... We cause harm to the cause of Jesus Christ. That is a terrible witness and a reproach to the Lord. One day I was preaching in the local jail and one inmate came over to me and said, That was a really good sermon, Pastor, and I'm so glad to see someone else in the service of the Lord. I looked at him, sort of puzzled, and asked him what he meant by that statement. I asked him, If you are in the service of the Lord, why are you in jail? 
He then told me that he had been caught dealing drugs, but that he was a Christian, and he believed that the Lord had him sent to jail so that he could preach to those around him. I reminded this man that in the Bible, when people were sent to jail, they were sent to jail for preaching the gospel, or for publishing the Bible in English, or some other persecution like that, not because they were dealing drugs. You were sent here because you broke the law, I told this man. You didn't live what you say you love. And if you say that you were saved before you broke the law, you have to acknowledge now that you were a horrible testimony for Jesus back then. Now, God can certainly forgive you, but please serve Jesus when you get out of jail. Christ deserves a good witness, not a hypocritical witness. He assured me that as soon as he got out, he was coming to the church to begin to rebuild his life. It wasn't long after that that I saw this very man walking down Highway 49 and I stopped and waved at him and tried to pick him up and give him a ride to the church. But as I approached him, he looked at me, smiled and said that he was on his way to a party and didn't have time to go to church. He was visibly drunk or high. I understand that this man is back in jail now. Beloved, we all know stories like that, but we need to stop and take this seriously and see how much damage this kind of hypocrisy is doing to the cause of Jesus Christ. Great testimonies of powerful miracles and great events that God has done are diminished in the mind of those who are lost if our daily lives don't glorify the Lord. Lost sinners stay lost when we don't live right. Skeptics are emboldened and those who point their finger and falsely proclaim that all Christians are liars and hypocrites and are encouraged in their thinking when self-centered people refuse to carry the burden of their own cross and walk with God. Christian brothers and sisters, we live in an age of church scandal like never before in history. The people of God are rocked by blow after blow as renowned leaders are caught up in horrible sins. This has served to damage the corporate witness of the church. It has only been a few years ago that the largest child molestation scandal in the history of the world was exposed in the name of Christ was slandered again and again. Jude warned us over and over that false teaching leads to more and more sin. The Bible is clear, my beloved, that heretics don't just bring in false words, they bring in false living, and a tearing down of biblical morality and virtue, and the historical fact of heresy is that almost universally when apostasy is allowed to come in and stay, almost universally, perversion and sexual scandal in the lives of those who believe in it will follow. Now, I look at these scandals differently from many of you. I do not believe for the one minute that the devil is behind any of this. I know that the devil is glad that it happens, but we must remember, beloved, that the enemy of our souls is the false accuser of the brethren. When Jesus was called the prince of devils, when Paul was wrongly accused, when you and I are falsely accused, that is an attack by the devil. But if the accusation is true... If a church leader or a church member is accused or exposed for committing horrible sins and it's true, then that which exposed the sinning person does not originate from the devil. What we are actually seeing is that the head of the church, Jesus Christ, is simply cleaning house. We must remember that what is valuable is the souls of men, not our ministries. 
Please remember that God does not need our ministries. We are the ones who think that our ministries are irreplaceable. God does not value our ministries nearly as much as we do. What God values is our soul. God wants ministries to be sure, but he wants ministries that are godly and not hypocritical. The self-importance of man and his enterprises is not what impresses God. God wants a ministry to be a true and a faithful witness for him. And if the people in that ministry are false, then while it may appear that God is receiving glory from them, God is really not receiving any glory from them at all. But if God can salvage a soul by tearing down the ministry, then praise be to God for that. Better to win the soul than to have a ministry that is living in deception anyway. If a person is actively and continually dwelling in sin, that is where the devil is at work. The devil is moving then, when the sin is going on, not when the spotlight turns on. If that person can be confronted with the sin and brought to a place of genuine repentance, then his soul is salvaged, and that is a glorious work of God and a glorious testimony. It is interesting that because this problem is getting more pronounced, the January 2007 issues of Ministries Today magazine calls for churches to adopt a three-pronged attack to ward off these kinds of devastating blows before they happen so that the Church of Jesus may once again regain her corporate witness. Listen to their proposal. Point one is that every single church needs to have a detailed written doctrinal statement. They said that unless we know what we believe and why we believe it, we really can't assure that the leaders of the church are actually teaching truth. Point two is that a written policy of church discipline needs to be implemented so that the unrepentant church member can be confronted. Until the church returns to the duty of confronting wayward members, the corporate witness of the church in the community will continue to diminish. Point three is that intense training of prospective leaders must be ongoing, which calls out those who are not biblically qualified to lead. The men who lead in the house of God should be the best that we have to offer, not the worst. They should be above reproach and live lives that glorify the Lord. Secret sins and gambling or financial or sexual or marital or personal problems must be lovingly and thoroughly dealt with before the man is allowed to be entrusted with the souls of the sheep. And just by doing these three things, this magazine says that the corporate witness of the church would rise and be set on high in our communities. And I agree. And so did Paul and Peter and James and John and Jude. So did Jesus. It is for the zeal to see the corporate witness of the church being restored to its once great place that I have engaged in this study and why I'm continuing to say to all of us that it matters what you believe and it matters why you believe it and it matters how we live our lives. Now, even after all of this, we have to understand that people are not saved because of our testimony. They are not saved because you were successful in arguing them into silence by using a clever sales pitch. No one has ever or will ever be saved apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, Paul shared the gospel, but Lydia was not saved until the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Jesus said in John 16 that it was the Holy Spirit, not us, who would convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Even knowledge of biblical truth will not save anybody apart from the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And that is a liberating truth. 
I recently read where a famous pastor said that if you give him something in common with anybody and let him talk to him for 10 minutes, he could lead that person to salvation in Christ. And I have two comments about that. First of all, if that were true, then how could that pastor ever justify one soul going to hell in his community? I mean, if salvation is merely a matter of intellectual persuasion, then why shouldn't everybody be saved? If all that is keeping people out of heaven is some item of commonality, then why didn't Jesus save everybody? Statements like that reflect how little we think about salvation and how much we think about our own abilities. Salvation is a sovereign work of God, that God allows you and me the privilege to participate with him in. It is true that we have a part to play in the saving of souls. God alone chooses those who will be saved. Christ alone died to assure that their sins would be forgiven, and the Holy Spirit alone draws them to God. All by himself, without any help or assistance from any man, God then supernaturally takes the stony heart out of them and graciously gives them a new heart and a new nature. God alone opens their eyes and opens their hearts and allows them to see, hear, and gives them the ability to believe. Wait a minute, Brother Blair. If God does all of that by himself, what part do we play? Our part is to preach the glorious gospel to every creature. We are to sow seeds into the hearts of the unbeliever. We are to pray that God will deal with the souls. We are to bear good fruit and do our good works openly so that all men may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And also we have the high honor and distinct privilege to live our lives in testimony that we are saved and in a way that will prove that Christ is our Lord and that we will verify that God has washed and cleansed us and that we belong to Jesus. So you see our testimony, our witness, our corporate and individual witness is very important to the saving of the human soul. So take heart, my beloved, and make sure that you are living what you say you believe. And may God help us all as we serve him and worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, i got to stop right here, but please join me again on the next broadcast as we continue our journey through the epistle of Jude. May God help us all. Dear friends, if this radio broadcast of line upon line, precept upon precept, teaching of God's holy word is a blessing to you, will you prayerfully consider supporting us financially? We want to increase our exposure here on the Gulf Coast through more radio stations and through the Internet. Would you pray about coming alongside of us and help us do that to God's glory? For further information about how you can partner with us in seeing the gospel triumph in our area or to receive a copy of today's broadcast, go to our website, www.covenantofpeace.net. Until next time, may the peace of God keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus.